Well, we are continuing in the book of Habakkuk this morning. Last week, we started with Habakkuk just kind of asking these whole list of questions about where God was and what he was doing and what's going on. And he's kind of looking around like, where is God? Uh, because his belief and his reality in who God is doesn't seem to be matching up. And so he calls out to God in prayer. Scott is, Habakkuk is struggling to reconcile his expectations about who God is and how he's acting in the world. And God comes through and he begins to say, we're going to see the response this morning, um, I am even bigger than you think I am. Um, there's a, a concept um, that I've talked about in seminary and heard other places is, um, when you think about God, you think about the biggest, strongest, most powerful being that you could possibly imagine. And if you can imagine a being more powerful than that, then that's God, right? The one before wasn't. And so that's kind of what we're going to see this morning is we have this picture of who God is and how powerful he is and all of the things that he can do. Um, but if we can think of something better or bigger or more powerful than that, then that's who God is. And so we're going to see some of God's power this morning and how big he actually is and how much he actually rules over everything that we see um, happen in our lives and in the world. And so we're going to read a few verses from Habakkuk. If you want to turn there, um, it's page 832 in the Bible that's in front of you. Um, you can also um, follow along in the YouVersion Bible app if you find our event or in our actual Brentwood Bible Church app. Um, if you find the Sunday service and just follow the scripture, you can do that. Okay? Ellie, can you turn me down just a tiny bit? Thank you. So we're going to read 5 through 11. This is God's response to Habakkuk's questions. Um, this is where we benefit from section headings. Um, because if you were reading this in the original language, it would be really hard to tell that the subject had shifted. There's just like a shift to the plural. So we are thankful for subject headings this morning that help us see that God is answering. And so as it says, Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Um, Chaldeans here are also called Babylonians. It's the same people. I'm going to probably say Babylonians as I go through. So just know that's the same people. That bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings, and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God." And so if you notice as we were reading this, God just starts talking, right? He's just answering Habakkuk immediately. And it seems like he doesn't even respond to Habakkuk's questions, right? This answer doesn't seem to maybe fit with what Habakkuk was asking, right? How long will you wait? How, how long will you tolerate injustice? Where are you? Um, there's no acknowledgement really of that. There's also no disputing what Habakkuk has seen and what he is experiencing and complaining about. It seems that he just kind of skips over it, but I want to show you that this answer is actually connected to what we just see. So in verse 5, there's three imperatives or commands, right? He says to look, he says to observe, and he says be astounded or amazed. And so the first two, look and observe, 
are directly connected to verse 3 because it uses the exact same words. So if we translated them using the same words, this is what it would sound like. In verse 3, it would say, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you observe wrong? And then in verse 5, it will say, Look at the nations and observe. And so Habakkuk is saying, look at that. Look at this stuff that I'm seeing. And God is saying, well, look at that. Look at what I am doing. And so he connects his answer in using that same phrase. And so God's answer to Habakkuk is, I do see wickedness and injustice. I am doing something about it. As a matter of fact, it's already happening. And not only that, it's bigger than you think it is. And when you see it, you aren't even going to believe what happens. Right? It says, you will be amazed. You may have astounded. Um, I found one translation this week that actually translated this as scared speechless. And I think that helps us understand what God is saying to Habakkuk. Like, when I do what I'm going to do, you're going to be scared speechless. There's going to be no words for what you are going to be able to see when I do this. Right? And you will grow in awe. You will grow in fear of me because of that. Right? The power and control and justice that God is about to bring is going to leave you amazed with no words to describe it. And so in God's answer to Habakkuk, we're going to see that God is working, he is doing something, and that God works whenever, wherever, and however he desires in order to bring about his plan and his purposes. And so first, God works whenever he desires. Right? And this isn't really hard for us to understand. I think intellectually, we understand the concept that God can do things whenever he really wants to do them. But sometimes it's hard in the day-to-day because our lives are actually pretty short. Right? Even if you live to be 100, right? that's really a short amount of time when you're looking at history. And so because of that, almost everything has a little bit of urgency to it. Right? i got to do this. I only have so much time. I have to take care of that. It feels like we have a limited amount of time. And we saw that in Habakkuk's first question last week, where he says, how long? How long am I going to have to deal with this? Right? I got stuff to do. I want to move on. I want to have a good life. I want there to be justice. I want all of these things. It needs to be fixed. But on the other hand, God has a different perspective, being both eternal and outside of time. Now, the eternal one is pretty easy to understand, right? He's always existed. He always will exist. And so when you're eternal... Um, you have essentially all the time that there is. So there's really not a reason to be rushed, right? Because you're like, oh, I have eternity to get this done, right? That doesn't mean God is like waiting around and being lazy, but he has a longer time, a longer view. So he sees things differently than us. But he's also outside of time, which is a little harder for us to understand, right? Meaning he can see everything that is happening all at once, right? So he can see how all of it fits together all at one time. And so we want things to be done on our time, but that's not how God operates. And we see that in his response to Habakkuk. Um, This is the second half of verse 5. It says, for I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. The answer to how long will he have to wait is not very long, right? It will happen in your days, in the lifetime of Habakkuk. And the thing that God is going to do is actually already in motion before, God, before Habakkuk gives his complaint, just because Habakkuk couldn't see it doesn't mean that God isn't working, right? Because God is already and always working. He's already and always working. 
right? He's already, just like in Habakkuk, and as we keep looking at it, we'll see that God was working before Habakkuk even asked these questions. We're going to look later at kind of the historical situation around this and how much was involved to bring this about. But this also means God doesn't, doesn't just work whenever he wants in history, meaning he could work this year or next year or the year after that or in 10 years to solve the situation, but can also work whenever he wants in your life, meaning whether you're 9 or 39 or 79 or 99, God can do something amazing in your life. It doesn't matter what age you are doesn't matter what's going on. When God wants to use you and he wants to do something amazing through you or in you, he can do that. It doesn't matter your age. So he works whenever he wants, including however old you are. But God works in his own timing. Um, when I was in college, I had a, a, a rubber band that I wore around my wrist um, everywhere I went, and I had the initials GTIP um, that I wrote on it. Um, and that stands for God's timing is perfect. Um, and it was a reminder to me that, you know, in college, you're not making, it's not a time where you're making any sp- real important life decisions, right? You're not deciding a career or who you're going to marry or what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Just kidding, right? You're doing all of those things. And so in those moments when you're trying to make all of those big decisions, it was a reminder to me that even if they didn't happen right now, even if it didn't happen on my timeline, God knew what he was doing and his timing for whatever was going to happen to me, for whatever I was going to do next, was going to be perfect. And so I wore it, and sometimes whenever I got a little carried away, I would like snap it just to remind myself that God was in control, right? He's got this covered. I don't need to try to solve all of these problems, right? And this concept is it's easy to understand, but like some of the other ones, it's hard to apply every day. Right? Because we think about the return, think about the return of Jesus, which we're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights, and so we're kind of talking about this. But we say things like, Jesus will come back, right? It's going to happen, we have no doubt about that. But he isn't coming back because it's not time yet. It's just not ready, it's not time for him to return. And we have no issue with that. But we need to apply that same thing to what's happening in our lives, whether we're seeking answers or dealing with a tough situation. It's just to say, God's going to take care of it. He will. We believe that he will. It's just not time yet. He's just not ready yet. It's not prepared yet. And so apply that same. And so addition to that, I just want us to think about right, the scale on which God is working. Because he works on a universal scale. He's taking the whole universe into consideration. But if you think about it, the smaller the scale of something, the easier it is to control, the easier it is to line up. So if you're just taking care of your own life, let's just say you're a single person living your life. It's not too complicated to keep track of everything that you're supposed to do. But if you get married and then you start having kids, then you have all of these other people. And for us, just like finding a time where we could go to dinner together as a family gets really complicated because now we have five people and all of these other things and all of these activities and lining all of that up gets really complicated. Because the larger things get, the more complicated it becomes. But God is working in and aligning things across the universe. Right? Think about how much that is. Not just your life, not just the lives of everybody in this room, not just the lives of believers, but everybody on earth, where the earth is, what's happening with other planets, what's happening in other places in the universe. Right? He's taking care of all of that at once. Right? So everyone in Austin, 
Everyone in Texas, everyone in U.S., everyone in North America, everyone in the world, he's working in all of their lives simultaneously. And he's lining all of that up together. Right? That's the power that God has. And so I think if we remember this of how the scale that God is working, it will help us to have patience as we wait for God to answer us or to work in our situation. Because yes, you need to be prepared for what God is doing in your life. And this is one of the things I discovered years ago and I was thankful for is just because I'm ready to do what God has for me next doesn't mean that everybody else that will be involved in that is ready, right? So when I came to this church, I may have been ready six months ahead of you guys, but you weren't ready until six months later. And so I had to wait while everything else got lined up so that we could be there together. So if you're in a situation and you're asking for God and you think you're ready, then continue to seek God and wait, right? Because he may be working in someone else's life that he's going to connect you with or you're going to run into. And so just be patient. But if you think you aren't ready, then seek God because God works on a scale bigger than just your life. He's working in all of that. And so next we see that God works wherever he desires, not just whenever, but wherever. Verse 5 begins, look at the nations. And I want to pause here for a minute because there's actually some debate on this translation. Um, you may have a note in your Bible where it says nations um, that says, or treacherous ones. Um, and the reason is there are two words with one letter difference that could be translated nations or treacherous ones. And so that's the difference. And so your two options would be treacherous ones or the nations, which basically means in Israel or in the nations. And so the reason there's a little bit of a debate is because Paul actually picks this up in Acts 13. And I want to read you the verses in Acts 13 because I think it helps us even understand what's happening in Habakkuk. And so it's Acts 13, verses 38 through 41, and it says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. So look you scoffers, that's the word that we're looking at that we would say treacherous ones are scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. And so Paul uses this verse as a warning to the Jews that if they ignore what Jesus has done, they will be on the receiving end of God's justice just like we're about to see in Habakkuk. But why bring this up, right? Why am I bringing this up, this difference in translation? Because I think it, it brings some insight home for us. Because when we think about injustice, it's easy to say, oh, the injustice, all of the violence, all of the bad things, they're out there, right? It's in the culture. It's in the world around us. But if this word means treacherous ones, that means God is saying it's not just out there. It's in God's people. Right? There is injustice, there is violence, there is things going on within God's people, and we would say within the church, that shouldn't be here. Right? Where there's injustice, God's word is not working in the hearts of his people. We're drifting farther and farther away from God's ways and his calling. And so these verses aren't permission just to complain about the world out there. 
right, and what's happening in it. But it's also a call to examine how the church and those of us inside it are doing the same things. And so that's why I want us to look, just look at that difference because it, it says it's not just out there. It's also in here. So we need to examine our hearts, examine our motives, and look at what we are doing inside the church. Because we may need to repent. We may need to be changed. We may need to seek God again. But if we take this as looking to the nations, it shows us, again, that God is doing something bigger than you think he is. Right? And we talked about this a little bit last week, that if you just focus on your own lives, of your own little corner, you can become preoccupied with your own situation, and you don't look up and look around you and see what God is doing. But God, again, calls us to look up and look around, look at the nations, to see how he is working in a bigger way. God is telling Habakkuk, you think this is just about you. You think this is just about God's people, but it's bigger. It involves the whole world. Many nations will be affected and involved in what I am about to do. So the question I I had as I, I was looking through this is, do we still believe that God works this way? Right? Does he still work on a grand scale throughout the nations? Or do we think that's only what he used to do? Is he still working now in the United States and in Russia and in Germany and in China and in Australia? Is he still working in all of those places at once? Or do we like, oh, God, he used to do that a long time ago with the Israelites, but he doesn't do that anymore. Right? Do we really believe that he is working all over the world? Because here's what's happening in history, just so you kind of understand the situation. Now, we don't know exactly when Habakkuk is, but they've kind of pinpointed um, the years. And this is what's happening to bring the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to be able to come across um, from the east to the west to conquer Israel and Judah. So first you had Assyria as a major power. Um, You'll see references in the Old Testament to Assyria and some of the things that they did. Um, Their king, Ashurbanipal, he died. And like all good, powerful nations, when the king dies, um, there's a competition to see who gets to take over. And that's exactly what happened. Three different guys attempted to be king, which weakened Assyria. This led to civil war and to infighting. Um, Some of the areas they had conquered, like Egypt and other places, just kind of like, oh, they're fighting amongst themselves. We'll just kind of pull back. And we won't make a big deal about it, but we'll just stop being under the Assyrians and just kind of start doing our own thing. Um, But we won't tell anybody about it. And then other groups began to see that they were weak, and they attacked to try to pull Assyria apart. So after Assyria realized, oh, other people are attacking us now, they got their stuff together, they went back and recaptured those cities, but then all of the groups that were around them were like, you know what? If we all band together and we attack them, we can take them out. And so that's what they did. A bunch of nations came together, they attacked Assyria, and that was the end of Assyria, which led to the Babylonians coming to power and rising and ironically enough, conquering all the nations that had just helped them um, overcome Assyria and then slowly make their way across. So all of those things had to happen for the Babylonians to be able to come across and do what God is telling them to do, right? And I don't know how many nations that is, but that's like five or six distinct people groups that had to do all of these different things in order for us to get to this point, right? God is sovereign over history, and he's doing things bigger than we understand. 
<clears throat> and I think what we see here is he's even working in nations and in rulers who don't follow him. You're, the leader of your country doesn't have to be a believer in Christ for God to use him. The leader of your nation doesn't have to be a believer in Christ for God to use his nation to accomplish his purposes. No one is outside of God's sovereignty. No one. Israel and Judah weren't. The Assyrians weren't. The Babylonians weren't. The Americans aren't. The Texans aren't. The Austinites aren't either. Right? God is sovereign over all of it. So no matter what's going on, no matter what you think about who's in charge or who used to be in charge or who's going to be in charge next, or whether you listen to the mayor or the governor or whoever is arguing with each other this week, right? God is in control. He is sovereign over all of those things. So even if things are happening that we may not like, it doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign. Because I'm pretty sure the people in Habakkuk are not going to be super pumped about the, the Babylonians coming and essentially wiping them out, right? That doesn't sound like something they would be excited about. But God can use any nation in any way he desires. And if he can't, then he isn't sovereign. He isn't in control. And if that's true, that's not really who God is because I can imagine a God who can do that. Right? I can imagine a God who can control everything that's happening in the world. Which means if you think he can't, that's not who God really is. Right? Because we talked about that at the beginning. If you can imagine something greater, that's who God is, not what you thought about before. Right? And so here's the takeaway, I think, for us. Right? Don't limit where you think God can work. We can't say he can't work in this country or that country or whatever it is. He can't work in or through somebody from a certain religion. He can't work in or through somebody from a certain political party. He can't work in my boss or my enemy or my family member who hates God. He can and he is to bring about his purposes. That's why we should be a people who pray like crazy. Because we want God's good purposes to happen, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us, in the life of our city, in our state, in our country, in the world. We want what God's want will to be done in all of those places. And so we should be praying and asking for God to do those things and to use us to be able to accomplish it. Right? Prayer connects us and petitions God to work in our lives and in our cities and in our nations. But God also works however he desires. <clears throat> we see this choice, and we've kind of been talking about it along the way, but we see this in his choice to send the Babylonians to deal with the injustice that Habakkuk sees. Right? If you look in verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are bitter, they are ruthless, they are fierce, they are impetuous, they are swift, they are hasty. They take over nations without even thinking twice about it. And they are sweeping across the earth. Just look at the metaphors he uses, right? Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than the wolves of the night. He talks about eagles swooping in. The number of prisoners is like the sand on the seashore. 
right? This is not a group that you don't, like you want to be their enemies, right? And just for fun, the leopards and wolves reference is also used in Jeremiah and Hosea as symbols of judgment on Judah. And so God is kind of connecting some dots of saying judgment is coming, right? It says other things. They're violent. They mock kings. They laugh at fortresses. Right? They build siege ramps. And what I read this week was interesting to me because, you know, I watch a lot of movies like Lord of the Rings and those kind of things. And when there's a castle and a battle, they get these big ladders and they fling them up on the walls and then they climb over the ladder. That's not what the Babylonians did. What they did was they would go outside the city and they would start moving dirt. And they would just start piling dirt up by the wall. So imagine how long this would take. And they just pile the dirt up until it's a big enough mound that they can just walk up the mound of dirt over the wall and into the city. Right? Can you imagine somebody outside your fence at your house who just starts piling up dirt and piling up dirt and piling up dirt? And most of our fences are, what, six feet tall? Just think about how, big, how long it would take them to pile up a big enough mound of dirt to, get, to just walk over your fence. Sure, they would fall on the other side. I get it. It would be hilarious, but... Um, just think about the timing. And so now imagine these huge walls and them just piling up dirt day after day after day after day, and you're just watching them, just waiting for the day when they come over the wall to conquer you, right? It's almost more punishing than just throwing up a ladder and climbing over, right? Because you have to watch them and wait all of this time because they really wanted you to know that they were coming, and they were going to take your time, their time, and they were going to conquer you, and there was nothing you could do about it, right? That's the Babylonians, right? And so I think him using this is a reminder that God can use whoever he wants, however he wants. Because in verse 6, it says, God is raising them up, not the Babylonians came to power, not the Babylonians had a great leader, not the Babylonians entered a cultural situation where there was a vacuum of power and they could fill it in. No, it says God raised them up. Not their strength, not their leaders, not their might. But I think the same is true today, right? God raises up leaders of churches, of cities, of states, of nations. He is still doing that. He is still in control over all of that and raising leaders up. So whatever you think about leaders in the world today, just know God is still behind that. And then in verse 7, it kind of keeps going. They're fierce and they're terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Um, if you have a, an older translation, it may say they are a law to themselves, which means they determine what is right or wrong. They execute justice in the way that they see fit. They are in charge, not God, not other people's laws, them. They are the superior authority, and they can do whatever they want. They decide right and wrong. They are in control. They do what they want. And then in verse 11, it ends with, their strength is their God. They trust in, they rely on, they believe in themselves and their strength. There's nothing that can stand against them. There's nothing that can stop them. And that's true for a little while, but not for long, which we'll see later in Habakkuk. So if you're asking the question, 
Why is God using a people like this? A wicked, evil, violent people to do his work against his own people in Judah. You're in good company because that's actually the question that Habakkuk asks next. So I'm not going to answer that today, but we will talk about it in the coming weeks. But I think this is a reminder, again, that God can accomplish his purposes any way that he wants to accomplish his purposes. And I think we understand that, but the trouble for us sometimes is we have an idea, we have an expectation of how God should work in our situation, right? When I'm looking for a new job, God should give me a new job tomorrow. I realize that's a, maybe a bad example. I'm not looking for a new job. I just want to make sure that, you know, like cut a clip out and put it on the internet and everybody's like, what's happening, right? But you want it tomorrow, but that's not always how God works. He doesn't always operate that quickly. Because as long as God works in the way we're used to, it's easy to trust him, right? When he gives you that answer the next day, when he solves that problem the next day, when he gives you what you need that day, it's easy. But when he begins to operate differently than we expect, or it takes longer than we thought it would, or it's more difficult or challenging or a different answer than we wanted, or he tells us to go somewhere different than we thought we were going to go, then maybe... We start complaining, we start doubting, we start questioning, we start worrying, right? But really, we're just doing all of that because God's not doing it the way that we want to do it, right? That's the difficulty, right? But he knows what he's doing, he's bringing it all together, he's working in our lives, he's working all over the place. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to, I want to leave you with, with one question um, one caution and one hope. And the question is, do you believe that God is working or that he can work no matter the situation, no matter how good or how bad or how urgent, do you believe that God is working? Because if you do, you can relax, actually. Because that means no matter what's happening, God is there. God is working his plan in your life and in the lives of those around you. So it isn't up to us to solve everything on our own. It isn't up to us to change other people. It's up to us to trust and be obedient to what God is asking us to do when he asks us to do it. So we can rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Just resting? Just resting. And we can pray. Right? We talked about this earlier. Pray to align ourselves with what God is already doing. Pray to give over our control and to ask for God's outcomes to be done in our lives when it will be done. No situation is too far gone. Nothing is beyond his reach. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to work it out the way that we want him to or that everything's going to have a necessarily happy ending. Right? I think we all understand that, but God is working. We can trust in him. So that's the question. Do you believe, do you really believe that God is working in your life and in the world around you at a grand scale? The caution comes from actually the very last verse. Because right before it says their strength is their God, it says they are guilty. 
right? They are guilty. This is a hint of what God is going to do later in his response to Habakkuk. So even though God is using the Babylonians in this moment to accomplish his purposes, they will still be held accountable for what they are doing. And if we pair that idea with the treacherous ones in verse 5, which Paul used in Acts 13, the caution is, beware of what you are doing. Beware of your actions, beware of your intentions, beware of your desires. Because the issues just aren't out there, but in here, and in here, and in here. Right, so beware of what is going on in your hearts. Are you drifting away from God? Are you doubting what he is doing? Or are you trusting in what he is doing and how he is working? But then there's one hope. One of the things that we learn from this passage is that God will use any and all means necessary to accomplish his purposes. There is nothing and no one who will stop God from doing what he wants to do. He will use every means available, especially to bring people to faith and repentance in him. We see this very clearly in what he did in his son. Right When we were all in trouble, and I know we weren't alive then, but we were all in trouble. We were all sinners. We were all in opposition to what God is doing. We were all rebels against him. God could have solved this problem in any way that he desired to solve this problem. But the way that he solved it was he sent himself and his son to the earth to live just like we live to see the things that we see, to see injustice, to see how wrong people are, to see what happens in the world among us. And to be tempted, like we are, to maybe do some of those things. But he didn't give in, and he followed the law perfectly, and then he died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved for our sins. And he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death so that we could have life. Right? If, if God is willing to kill his own son for your good, I think that's a demonstration that he's willing to do whatever is necessary for your good, for your salvation, for your repentance, for your sanctification to be more like him. And he's going to do that, not just in your life, but in everybody that's here, and everybody in this neighborhood, and everybody in the city, and everybody in the world. He's going to do whatever it takes to accomplish his purposes. And that, I think, should give us hope, right? That God is working and his purposes will not be thwarted. So we align with him, we seek him, we follow him, and we trust because he's got it covered. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being able to see how big you are, how great you are, how powerful you are, that, that even when we think we understand or we think we have a, a grasp of, of how powerful you are and all of the things that you might be doing, that it's even bigger than that. It's bigger than we expect. It's bigger than we can think of. And sometimes you do things in ways that, that we don't understand. 
And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means we're not smart enough or wise enough to understand what you're doing. So I pray that for all of us just coming out of this sermon and just listening to what you are doing and the scale of what you're doing in Habakkuk and accomplishing your purposes, that it would just lead all of us just to trust in you, that you are working in whatever situation we're dealing with, whatever's going on, however hard it may be, or even if you're doing great, right? that we would trust in you because you are the one who is in control. You are the one that can help us You are the one that can guide us because you know what's going on. You know what's coming. You see what's happening. So help us to trust in you so that we can rest, so that we can relax, so that we can cease our our worry and our anxiety and our control and our working so hard to make everything the way that we want it to be but instead that we will trust in you and your purposes because what you have for us is greater than what we would ever do on our own. God, so help us to trust in you. In your name I pray, amen.